As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This week on Buckets, Boys, and Blocks, we are discussing women's hoops, WNBA, and college with a super special guest. But first, Monica. Darlene, let's run it. First time in 2021. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former three and D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. This week we have a fantastic guest. They cover women's sports for ESPN and have done some incredible feature pieces. And I'm super excited that this writer is here. They are supremely talented. And today, January 6th, we found out that Georgia Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock will go into the Senate defeating Kelly Loeffler. They're going to give us so much background of the intersection of sports and how this ties in directly to the WNBA. I'm so pumped for this conversation. So without further ado, Katie Barnes, welcome to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm super pumped. Okay. So you and I, W fans, King, I got him a W sweatshirt for his birthday. He has a daughter. I'm bringing him in, Katie. I'm bringing him in. I love it. I love it. Um, but today's news, Kelly Loeffler, Raphael Warnock, Raphael Warnock is going to become a U.S. Senator, first Black Democratic Senator in Georgia. On the surface, one might just be like, oh, this is history. This is cool. But please, Katie, just take folks back to the sports tie-in that was huge this summer. And I know you're someone that has covered the W very diligently. So I can't wait to hear your perspective. Yeah. So, you know, Kelly Loeffler is more than just a senator that was appointed by Brian Kemp. Um, following uh, the retirement of another Georgia senator. She also is a co-owner of the WNBA franchise, the Atlanta Dream, um, which she has been involved with uh, initially starting in 2010 and then taking over as um, majority co-owner with Mary Brock in 2011. Uh, so she owns a WNBA team. And uh, if anyone has been paying attention to the W in, over the last three years or so, uh, they've been really outspoken on a number of issues. Um, and Kelly Loeffler decided, um, as a part of her political campaign that she was going to run really hard to the right and, you know, came out and said some pretty inflammatory things about Black Lives Matter in particular, um, in the middle of, uh, the uprisings and protests that occurred after the death of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd this summer. And in response, uh, the players of the WNBA, including her own team, donned Vote Warnock shirts. Um, and really made it very clear that they were in favor of her losing her Senate seat. And that really, I mean, you know, I think it's important to note that at the time, Warnock was polling in the single digits behind another Democratic um, uh, candidate, um, Lieberman, 
he was like at nine percent and he came back made it through that uh primary which is called the jungle primary meaning it's just a big primary um that when the top two go on to uh compete in a head-to-head matchup in the special elections which was resolved last night and called early this morning so it has been a wild few months the w is pretty front and center the whole time oh Oh my God, I'm, I'm so proud. Like, I know there were so many people tweeting today, Black women to the rescue again and again and again. And I don't want to trivialize that because this to me, Katie, was so strategic by the W. I do remember when Loeffler's statements came down and there were some questions about whether or not Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner, could exert power and cause her to either lose her part, her ownership in that dream or whatever the case may be. Ultimately, a leadership did not go that, re- that way. But what do you think it is that allowed these women to lock in and go this route in terms of taking a stance? You know, the what I think is so interesting about the W is that when you look at just in general, the rise of athlete activism over the course of the last four years, going back to, I think, 2016, um, where we saw the Minnesota Lynx um, come out in, you know, against police brutality. And then, of course, that fall, Con Kaepernick started kneeling. I think that's really when, you know, we had just a true, like, moment for athletes that has just been building, is that the players in the W have been, like, front and center and leading on this issue, on these issues, not just in terms of the things that they say, but really about the stuff that they do. Like, so for me, this isn't just about, you know, yeah, the Atlanta dream and everybody in the W war, vote Warnock shirts, and then he won. Like, no, they organized, they campaigned. They very much made a concerted effort to go out and put something in action that they believed in. And whether or not you agree with that stamp, with that stance, like to me, that's really powerful that this group of people you know, really took a stance and mobilized to make that happen. And we haven't seen that level of collective action uh, when it comes to activism and organizing uh, on the part of athletes. I I really, I'm hard pressed to say ever. I mean, I think the closest thing would be some of the actions that were taken in the 60s um, by athletes uh, that were pretty, you know, significant. I don't mean to minimize, you know, the impact um, there, but, you know, in terms of a, just a collective entity doing something like this, like to me, that is really what stands out. Um, it's been, I think, really interesting to watch from a reporting perspective, but it's been really powerful in terms of just like the impact that people can have when they want to, like, these aren't wealthy people, you know, like nobody's out here with like LeBron James money. Like this was just blood, sweat and tears and like real organizing, um, and in that sense, I think it's really inspiring. So with the success that they've seen as far as the actions that they've taken, like, what do you think is next for this group? Because it seems like these women can do almost anything, like anything they put their minds to, they, they can achieve. So, so what do you think is next for the WNBA? You know, I think that's a really great question. And, and I don't know the answer to that. Um, not to like duck the question. I just like, <laughs> you know, I think, in many ways, you know, I think time will tell. What I think has been really great about the W is, you know, these players have organized, they have achieved something pretty great in terms of just the scale and the scope of it, um, while also having a cultural moment, which is really cool. So, 
like not only is Warnock going to the Senate, but like the orange hoodie is the fashion statement of the year uh, when it comes to, like as named by the Sports Business Journal. Like that's pretty awesome. Um, and so for me, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how as we start to hopefully see the pandemic wane and folks re-engage with sport in um, hopefully in-person ways, what that's going to mean for the WNBA. Um, I think they could be you know, really poised to have a special um, next couple of seasons. Oh, man. King, that was a really good question. I'm thinking about that too. But I think for me, Katie, when did you start following the W? Oh, man. When I was a kid, I yeah. grew up it. So it was 1997 was mm -hmm. the first season. I was six years old. I was turning seven that year. I grew up in Indiana in a really small town. And every year, my dad would drive me two hours to go to the fever games. I would get to go to like one or two a year. And I think I really remember that starting when Sue Bird was drafted. I was a huge right. Sue Bird fan as a kid. And so I got to go to the Seattle game every year. That was very exciting. <laughs> yeah. So um, ever since I was little. So I'm in there with you. I remember when the league launched, like when Hannah Storm was doing play-by-play -play and like Robin Roberts was mm -hmm. outside at games and the Houston Commerce were, Cynthia Cooper was my girl. Anyway, oh, yeah. I say all that to say, I know when I've been asked this question in various conversations in terms of the qualifications that the W has, it is such a unique league of identities that are often marginalized, right? Whether you want to talk gender, sexuality, race, whatever, um, that their compass is not, it's ahead of everybody else's in many ways, because they are moving from a place of this is the life that I live and so many of us live and we can relate as opposed to compassion that is tapped into when you see another person dealing with it because they are dealing with it. And so I think the way you answer that question is, is so true because the compass is, is internal and it is the collective voice of these women, which makes this league so incredibly powerful to me. Oh yeah. I mean, the solidarity is real. And I think what is so important about the W is that these players have worked through a lot of these things. Like, you know, we're having, you know, conversations about gender, about sexuality, about race, like within the league, like they've already put in so much of that work to get to a place of solidarity. Um, like, you know, I think about, you know, when I was younger, like some of the ads that would come out, like about the W where you have like these hyper feminized women even though they were like really gay like it was just and there was yes and like a lot of that has shifted and changed and you can see that the w as an entity has embraced you know has embraced its players in all of what that means mm -hmm. in terms of the variety of gender expressions the variety of sexual orientations of gender identities um, of races and you know of course that is going to be predominantly sitting at an intersection of black women of queer black women and so with that comes I think just you know what has really happened is tremendous amount of work in terms of getting to a place of solidarity and willingness to have collective action and I think that's huge when we see you know white players show up for their black teammates where when we see, um, you know, straight players turn up for their queer teammates, like that really matters. Um, and I think, you know, we see that play out in a collective way um, and it's what makes it so powerful as far as what they've done. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I started my morning show today, super giddy because of all of it. And I think being co connected to women's basketball, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a moment that I think 
I've probably been prouder in terms of the impact of it all. And so shout out to the W. Of course, that aligned. Originally, that was not the reason that we invited you <laughs> onto the pod, but I'm glad that you're here because you are certainly well-versed and have done a ton of work in that space. Um, right now, the W is not in play, but what we do have in play in the midst of a pandemic is women's college basketball as well as men's college basketball. So I want to open up the conversation there. And in fact, before we go there, Katie, I know you covered the W this past year through the bubble. From your perspective as a reporter, what was the most challenging part of doing that work through a pandemic? Oh, well, I mean, it changes everything. You know, I'm a feature writer. And so, you know, if I wanted to write a big story about someone, I was having a hard time getting to them, I could just go to the locker room. <laughs> And like, you know, just kind of chat them up a little bit. I could get on a plane, just show up in Phoenix, do what I need to do. Can't do that. Like, it's completely different. You know, it's, I think, and I mean, I think that's been a struggle for sports media in general. Like access is already difficult. And like Mm -hmm. now there have just been completely different barriers erected. um, And that's definitely had an impact on storytelling. Um, But I think that as we roll out the vaccine and things hopefully will abate a little bit i think we'll see um that be that turn around a little bit hope so okay you cover women's college basketball i'm actually starting to become a fan so i have to admit in quarantine i started becoming a fan of the WNBA. now i'm starting to become a fan of the women's college game okay and my alma mater shout out oh shout out to the bears (laughs) baylor bears they were supposed to play tomorrow. Today's Wednesday, Thursday. right? Yes. Play tomorrow, Thursday. I the know. game got canceled. Oh. Is, is that one, not even one, is that the top rivalry, starting to become the top rivalry in women's college basketball? Oh, man. UConn and Baylor? I, that's a big one. I, you know, I think as far as sustained excellence over the course of the last 10 years, I think, it, you know, UConn, Baylor, UConn, Notre Dame, I think are the two big ones that I could think of where there have been, uh, well, one where the rivalry is just not lop- lopsided, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, you know, the Bears have on UConn. And so that makes it really interesting and fun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think right now that was one of the biggest games that I was looking forward to. And it's a total bummer. Um, that it's not able to happen. And of course, um, you know, thinking about uh, Coach Kim Mulkey. Um, but yeah, that that's a real loss. Um, and of course, you know, with the pandemic, it's just been brutal when it comes to the season, for sure. UConn Stanford, is that one lopsided? I'm trying to think in my head. It favors. I mean, there are a couple of instances where like Stanford, like totally, um, you know, won. I think. There was the game uh, where Stanford actually broke UConn's streak, um, mm-hmm. you know, about half a decade ago. Um, and so that was a big one. But in general, uh, when UConn and Stanford have played, like there was a period of time, about two or three years, where it wasn't super lopsided. But right now, UConn's gotten the better of Stanford. And they haven't played in a while. So I would love to see a UConn-Stanford matchup. I think that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Cardinal is looking tough. Uh, this is a, you know, if we get a tournament, I think it's going to be a really interesting one to see simply because we don't actually have that much information going in because we haven't seen a lot of these matchups. And frankly, people are having a hard time playing because Mm -hmm. of uh, just, you know, the rate that COVID is spreading and, 
you know, what that's forcing teams to do in terms of pausing activities. What we do know is that Fran Believy is an in-game dunker, not just a highlight dunker. Oh, listen. That. that was impressive. Very. Fran okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Fran Believy train. I just want y'all to know this girl has been doing this for a long time. First of all, she didn't even start playing basketball until she was a freshman in high school. Mm. And she was 5'10 at the time dunking like and she could dunk then and she was dunking like dodgeballs yeah. like this girl is barely over six feet tall and she her first in-game dunk was her sophomore year of high school like she don't play Crazy. it was only a matter of time Crazy. i love it Crazy. i can't wait till she like throws one down in traffic does a little reverse dunk i'm <sighs> waiting for a 360 can't i can't wait can't get enough of it. Okay, so it's funny. We went to we went to Fran. We talked about UConn. Katie, some you are a features writer. Your features are incredible. Um, but let's you. talk UConn and Paige, who is some well, a couple things with UConn. Paige and AZ, because I, okay. I think your most recent feature work that I saw was AZ and then the piece you did on Maya. So we gotta get all into that as well. Um, <laughs> but let's let's start with Paige and AZ, the current, the current crop and the coming crop for UConn. Oh, yeah. um, me about Paige because King knows all about Paige courtesy of Instagram. <laughs> Listen, a lot of people know about Paige courtesy of Instagram and that's huge. Like I think we talk about uh, the growth of fandom of women's basketball, like the absolute explosion of Instagram I think has been huge for getting people in the door in a different way. And then also them just like following these women over the course of their careers. And like Paige just has so much swag she talks a lot of crap. I love it. Love I love it. She's super competitive and an absolute sweetheart. Um, I, you know, I think there was a lot of hype around her coming into UConn and to see her live up to it, like just in general as a reporter, that's been a joy to watch. Um, you never know what's going to happen when you write about, you know, the number one prospect and like, oh, she's a generational talent, which we kind of throw around a lot these days. And uh you know, you want to see if it's gonna, if like you place the right bet. And listen, she's no joke. She's no joke. Um, okay, so that's Paige. Next up is AZ, who actually, her mom went to Georgetown. I know her mom. She comes from a great family. She's raised in the DMV area, which is home for me as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to remember, I guess Paige and Haley over at Louisville kind of had the same sort of excitement. But I feel like for AZ, like we, we just... I've, so many people have talked about AZ and you've had this incredible access. Oh yeah, it, and we're not even done yet. So one of the great things about the news, uh, the like newsy feature that, you know, I did uh, announced AZ's decision was that we also announced a forthcoming really big feature. And so we're in the midst of working on that and that's really exciting. So keep your eyes out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, AZ, you know, I think what's really interesting and people talk about Paige and AZ together, of course, Paige is already at UConn, AZ will be going to UConn, um, and they're very, very close, they're really good friends, but, you know, Paige is someone who I think got a lot of excitement very suddenly in the latter part of her high school career. AZ is someone who has been playing under this, this spotlight and with this attention that has been building for years, like since she was in seventh and eighth grade, like she has been playing with this hype for uh, you know a, a long time and then I think the fact like you know she tears her ACL near the end of uh well after her sophomore season and uh, you know the early part of AAU season 
and because of the pandemic hasn't really been able to come back fully. So she's in a really interesting and unique position, um, but make no mistake, she is extremely talented um, and just an absolute stud. So I'm really excited to see those two together. Yeah, I, I, I even think, and to your point, like the injury and coming back, like I just, just the injury adds even another layer to her incredible story. I can't wait to see AZ in action. Mm. Oh yeah. So when you look at UConn, the history of the, the greatness, when you look at the Brianna Stewart's, uh, Mariah Jefferson, Maya Moores, and Paige Becker's coming in. At the end of her career, this is what's interesting about Uh-oh. The, the women's college game. They have to stay for three, at least. Mm -hmm. so, at the end of her career, where do you see her ranking amongst the greats of UConn? You know, I think she has the ability to be right up, right up there. You know, when you walk into the Worth Champion Center, which is um, the UConn practice facility, they have these, they literally call the pillars of the program. And it's like these glass panels that feature all of the greats. And it's like Rebecca Lobo, Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, Maya Moore, Tina Charles, uh, Brianna Stewart. Yeah, so it's six. And, you know, I think Paige very well could prove herself to be among them. Um, you know, they all achieved really high level things um, with varying compositions. You know, I think Brianna Stewart is someone who obviously wore, won four championships, but also played with, you know, three or four of some of the you know, best teams um, that UConn has really ever put together. Um, you know, Diana Taurasi played on arguably the greatest college team ever assembled in the 2002 season alongside Sue Bird, but then won two additional championships with nothing. Uh, like, that's a real thing. You know, I think you know, Maya Moore played with two other UConn greats. And so, you know, Paige is going to have an opportunity where she's going to play with, you know, her buddy AZ. Um, and we'll see what they do this season. But at the end of it, I mean, UConn's, they're going to be all right. So we're going to see what Paige is actually able to accomplish. But she's somebody whose skill set um, is amplified uh, with the talent that is assembled around her. And Gino has done a really great job, again, of reloading. And so I don't think that there's any reason to think that Paige won't walk away with one, maybe two, maybe three championships. We'll have to see. I wonder how the pandemic might play into that. I knock on all the wood, say prayers, cross fingers, all that good stuff that we get to a tournament this year. But I mean, yeah, that, that's the big wild card, right? Like, who knows if we're going to get a tournament? Who knows if people are going to like if teams are actually going to be tested heading into that tournament? Mm -hmm. You know, the great thing about March Madness is it's one and done. It's survive in advance. Well, if you've barely played all season, that's not the best scenario you want a series you want the opportunity to like kind of mess it up once or twice before you have to get it right and so to walk into a venue where nobody really knows how sharp everyone else is going to be um, and there's less film and there's less opportunities for preparation like it is a recipe for chaos which is great as a viewer um but you know if i'm playing on those teams you know it's it's a little nerve-wracking, for sure. But you know what, Katie? Even in that, as having come up and played against those Maya Moore teams, and, and like my claim to fame is that we lost to UConn by six in Philadelphia in the NCAA tournament my senior year, and we were <laughs> right there. Like we were right there. That was the. Hey, how, 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 how much did Maya Moore give you? Um, I don't even think it was actually Maya that went off. I feel like it was um, Lauren. Who was the point guard that year? No, I don't. Don't avoid the question. How much did she give you? 
I don't remember. Oh, in fact, I, Lauren I Dixon? <laughs> I think it was, no, but I think it was Lauren Dixon, what? right? Their point guard? Yeah, but she was she's like this big. So here's the thing, Katie. We ran a what would be considered a one two two press. Like that was our signature sure, sure. when I was in school. And so I was at the top of that press, and I literally will never forget being at the top of the press at the half court and Gino being like, "Go by her," because all I did was like get low and get long. But for real, I couldn't sure. move my feet like that. <laughs> so she started just attacking, like, and she, I just remember she was getting like she was crushing our our defense that year. I mean. That, <laughs> Anyway, um, maybe that's my personal memory. Maybe it wasn't my, that was actually the problem. <laughs> I say all of this to say, um, when I think of, it's interesting that you mentioned those pillars because I wonder, and not that you know, I don't, I know you didn't establish the pillars, but like, why those six? Cause there are others, like I think of Swin, who's like amazing and incredible. True. Like, I, I'm just kind of curious, because then I know after Brianna, you know, they go through their law where UConn maybe isn't UConn that we're accustomed to. And so to your point about the mayhem, there was a time to me where the mayhem wouldn't have mattered because the top teams were that much better than the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. Where this year, I don't think, I think you're right. The mayhem could be really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, I think parity is certainly a real thing um, mm-hmm. that has increased um, it, within women's college basketball. And that's just been fantastic to see. You know, when... Uh, we were talking like, you know, about 2002, South Carolina was not a program that anybody was worried about. Mm-hmm. Baylor wasn't really a program that people were worried about, but they got real worried by the time 05 rolled around. Yep. Okay. Don't come at me. Just, <laughs> but like, you know, I, it wasn't like, it was UConn, Tennessee, Duke, and that was it. And yep. maybe Stanford, yep. but like, you know, now there are so many more programs, like the fact that, you know, we're talking about NC state as a possible one seed, mm-hmm. um, you know, South Carolina has, is, you know, really competing every single year. Baylor is right up there. Notre Dame is going to get back to right up there. Oregon. You know, it's like, we, you know, it's, yes, Oregon, like mm-hmm. Oregon, nobody was thinking about Oregon 10 yep. years ago. Yep. Like it's a completely different landscape and that's been really great for the game. Um, and so I think that's why, like, you know, I think you're right. Five years ago, 10 years ago, certainly the mayhem wouldn't have mattered. Like, Mm -hmm. and it might this year. And that's really great. I, you know, I think over the course of the last five years, we've seen a tremendous, I mean, we've just seen some tremendous moments within the women's tournament that were surprising. And a lot of them have had to do with UConn losing, and, you know, that's always surprising when it happens. Um, but it's, I think it is good for the game in terms of uh, seeing who's going to win another one. I also don't think it's terrible for the game if UConn comes back and gets another one or two or three or four. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's really interesting to talk about. Um, but yeah, it's, it's exciting for sure. So exciting. So we talked about some of the outstanding freshmen you know, in the men's game, one thing we're seeing is that experience wins and the upperclassmen is what wins you ball games, especially in a crazy year like this in 2021 with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You think, would you say it's the same thing in women's basketball when you look at the NCAA tournament and the craziness and not knowing who's going to play who? Do you think experience is what's going to tell the tale? I think this year, probably experience more than anything else is going to matter more than it might have in other years. Um, I do think it matters. I mean, it's, of course it does. I think especially like when you look at a format like the NCAA tournament, like you want people who've been there before. Um, You know, I think that's why, you know, I think being tested as a team is so important. Like you haven't had to play from behind before, 
all of a sudden you get down in a winner go home game and you know the winner goes to the final four and the loser never gets there you know, you're going to want some experienced players who've actually who know what that feels like to get you through those moments i um, mean i think that's why you know stanford is just such a beast this year you know they returned a huge chunk of their roster and even though there wasn't a tournament last year which I also think it's going to be a very interesting wrinkle. A lot of folks never got to cut their teeth in March. Um, and so in that sense, they are inexperienced, even if this is the, their second year, um, you know, playing college basketball. Like, I think that's going to also be a bit of a curveball. You know, your seniors and your juniors are going to matter um, in a way that they may not have previously because your sophomores also don't know what it's like um, to play under those lights, same as your freshmen. That's real. So let's take away Paige Bakers out the equation. <laughs> who is who is the most impressive player that you've seen this year? Player or freshman? Are you just, are you just opening player. the whole thing up? Okay. I mean, it might be Paige Becker. I mean, the way, Paige Paige 18, so I'm saying let's take her out the equation. You're so funny. Who, you can't say Paige. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, another freshman I do think has actually been really impressive um, has been Haley Van Lith at Louisville. Uh, she is just a baller, man. And, you know, she also had a bunch of hype and has a huge Instagram following. And I hadn't really seen her play that much. I was like, mm, she really that good? Like, is she really going to be all that? Woo! Man, yeah. she made me sorry for even thinking the question. Yeah. She is the real deal. And she's a lot of fun. Um, but then, you know, I think, like, any time, now that, like, Haley Jones is much more, is, you know, back to being more healthy, I think she's somebody who I've just been really happy to see play again over at Stanford. Um, and, you know, just shout out to Fran for throwing it down all day. Fran, Fran is certainly beast mode. Haley Van Lith has been a very interesting case because I was with you. And not even, not even from a hater standpoint, I'm like, is this going to translate? Like, she's not overwhelmingly big. Like, she about to go up against Dana and them. Like, is it? And oh, baby. Yes. I know. <laughs> oh, boy, she's 5'7". Like, what's she, like, she don't got nothing for Dana. Yeah, I was wrong. It I was so true. wrong. It is completely translated. Okay, I want to go back to some of your other features, though, Katie, because I love a good feature. Like I was a kid back in the day. You probably can relate. Sports Illustrated for women, like just like sure, the, sure. the long form stuff. Um, this year, Maya Moore, another example of the WNBA truly being led by their heart. First of all, she stepped away from the game at the height of her game, and have I missed it? We've no word on whether or not she's coming back this season. We do not know. Okay. Uh, I imagine, you know, if pattern holds, it's been around this time, January, February, that she has made that announcement. So we may find out soon, but we do not know. Okay. So in addition to stepping away to focus on, um, I don't, I hate, I don't like the word social justice, Katie. What, what, she's focused on criminal reform specifically. I mean, specifically, she was focused on getting Jonathan Irons out of prison. Sure. Specifically. <laughs> specifically. I think, you know, a lot of people say she stepped away for social justice or she stepped away for criminal justice reform. And that is true. Although I will say that at every opportunity um, when asked about what she's next going to do around criminal justice reform, she always comes back to Jonathan. So like that has been her focus since she left. And I'm interested to see whether she comes back or if she chooses to retire or to put off coming back for another year or whatever she's doing, like what she's actually going to do next. Okay, so just to give the full story, though, she stepped away. She was focused on Jonathan Irons' freedom. He was freed, 
mm-hmm. last year. Um, and then the twist on the story was they got married. They sure did. You had, a, again, a, sitting right up front with your pen and paper or whatever techniques you use. You had an incredible feature on this whole thing. Uh, one, Katie, when did you kind of gain her trust? Because I, I hear that Maya's kind of like a unicorn in terms of letting people. Well, the funny uh, story about that feature is I never actually interviewed Maya for the story. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, in terms of like that access, I was never granted access. I just kept going to the courthouse. Oh, great reporting. <laughs> it's true. I was like at the public space. So I was just there the whole time. Um, and, you know, to be clear, like, you know, she, she did like kick me out of her group. Like I knew like I had conversations with her godparents. Like I was around. I, you know, Maya was always very cordial and friendly to me. We always greet each other and said hello. But like I never did like an hour long sit down interview with her or Jonathan or her godparents for that matter. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, the I enjoyed the feature though. <laughs> Thank you. It's like, and you didn't know that, so I guess I, I didn't. Know that. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, there weren't any real like quotes, but it just had so many details, and you were the closest person to the situation, and felt, felt like you yeah. talked to her. So I mean, I was there, and like you know, we start, I, I asked her, I think, a total of four questions for the piece. Wow. Mm. So okay, then let me ask you this: of the features that you've done, Katie, what are you most proud of in your body of work? Oh well, I mean, I think that one is like. Awesome? I think in terms of um, just the importance of it mm-hmm. um, in the reporting skill that it required and the writing skill that it required. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, and it was an investment. You know, I lived and breathed that story for about 10 months. Um, it was brutal. I went to Missouri five different times. There was one day that I went to Missouri for a five minute hearing, got on a plane direct back to Hartford to get to Hartford in time. For time of the UConn USA basketball game that was happening on January 27th of 2020, um, where they were, and Maya was actually, it was the only hearing that Maya was not at. And so I got back, got the, got my credential in time for halftime to get to a press conference that Maya was having about her work with Jonathan Irons. That was a wild day. Everything had to go perfectly and it did. Um, and so just like things like that, of like the actual mechanics of reporting that piece um, are things that I'm very, very proud of. And then also like, I really enjoy writing things that like, that just say something, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't want to just write a happy-go-lucky profile of so-and-so who did such and such. Um, like for me, I got into writing because I think writing can be very powerful. Um, and I like sitting at the intersection of like sports and society in that way. And so being able to talk about um, Jonathan Irons case and raise awareness around what actually happened to him mm-hmm. um, on such a on such a large platform I think was really important um, you know it wasn't just like it's one thing when you hear Maya and Jonathan talk about the lack of physical evidence it's another thing to actually read the testimony and read the accounts and sit there in the courtroom hearing him cry because he's finally been validated for the first time in two decades like those moments are um, just really important to document. And I was really honored that I had the opportunity to do that. Then I had the backing of an organization that put me on a plane five times. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's, that's beautiful, Katie. And the piece was really well done. It, it was so, um, I don't know if humanizing is the right word, but you could like to your point, the details, you could feel it. And it, it put intimate detail, name, 
nuggets to this story that's like, like you said, oh, she freed this man from prison. First of all, we don't take freeing people from prison lightly at all. First of all. Oh, no. Um, and then like the details. like Especially in Missouri. I mean, like, I think to me, one of the wild, like just like the actual, like wildest moments of that story, you know, have was actually the period of time from March 9th when um, Daniel Green vacated Jonathan's convictions to when he was actually released, which I believe was July 1st. And in that like three month period, July, March, April, May, a long time, it was many months, four months. Okay. But in that period of time, I mean, the state of Missouri fought tooth and nail, like and appealed and appealed and appealed. Like they brought the full weight of what they were able to do to try and keep him in prison. And rather than just admit that he had spent 23 years there and he didn't need to. Like, it was just a wild thing to see. And I know how frustrating it was for Maya and Jonathan and all of his supporters and advocates and his family. But like to know that that was happening and to be answering these questions of like, oh, well, this is going to take two weeks and then they're going to appeal again and that could take another month and the pandemic was happening. And so, and as we know, like if you live in shared settings indoors, you are more vulnerable to contracting the pandemic, like to contracting COVID. And so then him also being at risk for that, like all of that together was, it was just so much. And I, you know, as a reporter, not everything makes it into the piece, um, but that period of time was truly wild um, to experience. I, it was definitely really challenging and really emotional um, and something that like, I, I never really thought I would see so up close. Mm-hmm. Mm. Man. Right. Well, kudos to you because 10 yeah, months yeah. on the story, my ADD would not have allowed me oh to do that. Listen, <laughs> I don't like every once in a while, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to do a quick story. It's going to be four months. Like, <laughs> my first feature, start to finish, was two years. I. Oh my gosh. What was that? I don't, I don't know what? if I was a fan back then. What was the first feature? It was a feature on two high school uh, transgender athletes. Um, that published in May of 2018. Um, and now I'm writing a book about them. It just, that story has like never ended, but it did change my life, so. Okay, okay. I'm curious, okay. I, want, I want to hear about that. About what? The the story, I'm, I'm very curious. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm just talking about So that piece was about um, two high schoolers. One is Mac Beggs. Um, who's a wrestler. He's a transgender boy, meaning he was assigned female at birth. Yep, saw that. Um, And he became like big news after he won um, state, Mm -hmm. uh, the girls state championship in Texas, because in Texas, the rule is that you have to uh, um, compete in gender, like in the gender category that is in accordance with your birth certificate. So Mm -hmm. for him, that meant he had to compete in girls wrestling. Which Texas is also one of only a handful of states that has separate wrestling for boys and girls, which is its own separate issue. Um, and so that was happening. And simultaneously, Andrea Yearwood, who is a transgender girl, um, was competing in Connecticut. Um, and at the time when I was following her for this piece, it was her freshman season into her sophomore season. Um, and so she, uh, in the state of Connecticut, uh, you can compete 
in the category that is appropriate for you as dictated by your school district and they cannot discriminate based on gender identity or expression mm -hmm. and no legal or medical intervention is required meaning you do not have to be on hormones in order to compete in the girls category if you are a transgender girl um and that case has really actually become a national like firestorm there are all kinds of um, litigation that's pending right now um and what was interesting is that when i did that piece you know mac was the one who was getting all kinds of attention um because the texas state legislature was going after him in a pretty meaningful way um and uh, so i spent about a year sort of following him for that and then we did a documentary um a documentary short with espn 30 for 30 um and then over time the real issue became andrea um, and then Terry Miller, who is a, another transgender girl in Connecticut, and they are often referenced um, in litigation and legislation uh, where they're out trying to outlaw um, transgender girls from competing in sports. Wild. Hmm. Wow, King, that's a lot. Oh, it is a lot. I left out all the science. We don't, it, it's a lot. It's like all I do. <laughs> okay, so I want to come full circle because on the pod, not only do I love celebrating um, my guests for their work or our guests for their work, but just, um, just not the actual work, but just the work and who you are. And I saw in 2020, not all terrible things, Katie, a certain famous lady that has like networks and TV shows and all this kind of stuff shouted you out for one of your, it was, was it a personal essay? It wasn't a full on feature. No, but, it was a uh, personal, yeah, it was an essay. Oprah, you made Oprah's yeah. list, Katie. Oh. I know I did, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, you do, you're doing a thing out here then. It was wild. Oh. I screamed when I saw it and just immediately started to cry because it was Oprah. It was absolutely nuts. I, uh, it was just so unexpected. Um, yeah, I had no idea like what, that that was going to happen like i i'm just and i don't know i'm like so what happened was apparently it's like somebody showed oprah something i wrote and she decided it was good <laughs> and like that alone is enough to like make my entire decade i think i don't even know it um, was amazing it, but king's not familiar so give us the give us the scoop i know we've got you in here forever but we're having such a blast you're educating yeah. us with all these great details <laughs> all right. so it, i wrote about it um I, you know, it was a piece on race in America um, and my experience with race growing up in rural Indiana um, in direct response to um, the Milwaukee Bucks and the WNBA teams and the NBA and then the MLB, um, you know, suspending play after in protest of um, Jacob Blake being shot. And I, you know, focused a lot on my experience in sports, um, being called the N-word by, you know, people um, about, you know, growing up in the middle of nowhere and really, you know, where I grew up is clan country. I mean, it, you know, there are just all these experiences that I have had with race that I think a lot of people, certainly people that I've worked with, I think folks who live in the Northeast just we don't really know what it's like in a, in other parts of the country. Um, and so I wanted to share some of that. Um, and I'm sure like as black people, like we've all experienced certain levels of racial violence um, in ways that like white folks just don't really think about or consider. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I'm like, and this stuff, it wasn't, you know, like I'm not a particularly old person. Like I just turned 30. So a lot of the stuff that I was writing about happened when I was like in the nineties and two thousands, like wasn't that long ago. So that was really what the essay was about. Well, it was beautiful. I mean, everything you put out is fire, but it was beautiful. The fact that Oprah shot it out. I'm like, NFBJ, look at Oprah. We're on, we're on. Katie, <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> All right, King. I think if you don't have any more questions, King, I think you have to give Katie the signature sign off on life and liberty and all things basketball. The bucket board and block. <laughs> I'm not a pro at this. This is my first time doing this. So you really, you really put me on the spot. Oh man. All right, let's go. First, before we do this, I gotta say I, I love your vibe and I love your energy, Katie. So so shout out to you for real, for real. You're doing your oh, thing. Oh, thank you. I appreciate sure. it. Y'all were great. I had a blast. So we'll have to do this again sometime. Definitely. Of course. Yeah, like Bruce says, you can become a repeat offender. <laughs> repeat offender. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta get a new phrase for that, Bruce. <laughs> like... <laughs> Katie might have stories about people just that free from prison. We can't use that. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, yikes. <laughs> Look, okay. So you know what? I'm gonna switch it. I'm gonna be a little different, Monica. I am going to make her say a block normally do a bucket board a block we normally give you the option but today i want to hear a block okay what a block is is something that you just don't want to see anymore like you know think of like the kid bang with tumbo blocking shots or lauren cox blocking shots get that out of there don't return that what in 2021 is your block oh man well this is i've been thinking about this all morning and what I think, you know, we don't need to do ever again is like, yes, we should absolutely celebrate, you know, Black women, Black organizers for the work that has been done in Georgia and elsewhere across the country. But what I don't need to see is like the fetishizing of Black women as saviors. Like, mm. we didn't save you. Like, oh. we're just out here trying to save ourselves. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. So Stacey Abrams alone. <laughs> okay, so Katie, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I've been thinking about this all morning too, okay? And usually you would drop your block and we would leave it on, leave it alone, but we're having such a great conversation. I, I wanna go back and forth on this one. Look, this finna get deep, I can already A little speak. bit, probably a little bit. <laughs> so the fetishizing is certainly dangerous. It's obnoxious, it's out of place. But I do feel like Katie, we, we can't, completely dismiss it without acknowledging part of the historical context, right? Mm -hmm. Right, like Mammy, the name that is, is not necessarily a positive, but those roles in our history are very real. And you could argue that all the historians would have died in, of starvation if not for the black women that actually raised them, right? Yes, you're not wrong. Okay, so I, I do think that there's a respectful way to do it. And you're right, fetishizing period probably needs to go. But I just hope that, is there room for a conversation on how you do this properly and also acknowledge the history? Because I mean, black women do save America. I mean, yeah. So I think there's a difference between like you and I talking about black women saving America. Right. And like white women on Twitter, just like erect a statue of Stacey Abrams on my lawn. <laughs> like, true, true. <laughs> like if we're going to be real, I'm like, listen, like, I, you know, I think we're in this really interesting place where I think there's a lot of folks. And I think this, you know, we can talk about this as like, you know, part of the racial reckoning in general. Okay. Like there are a lot of people who 
really and truly want to engage with like engage on topics of race in meaningful ways mm -hmm. that um, help to reconcile and rectify the wrongs and the ills of the past. I understand that 100%. All I'm saying is that there is a weird thing happening right now where like black women will save us is like a social justice catch-all to in some mm -hmm. ways okay. signal I'm woke and I'm with it. Yeah. And I'm like, no, like that ain't it. Like right. that's not, that's not it. Or like, you know, it always happens where it's like, give black women all your coins, give black women their flowers. And I'm like, listen, we should absolutely back up a truckload of flowers, like for the W. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. Okay. I'm also saying that like, like there's it's just in a place where i find it to be a little weird right now it's performative yes it's extremely performative that's right. what i want thank you that's the word i want okay it's I got you. super performative and i'm like i just would like to leave that over here alone like let's not bring this into 2021 beyond this morning that was dope <laughs> Thanks so much to our terrific, thought-provoking, and thorough guest, ESPN feature writer, Katie Barnes. They were so generous with their time. I, I really enjoyed that conversation. Thanks also to our producer, Bruce Bernstein, and our superstar editor, Tom Phillip. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. This week, Mike Wise has his 100th show. Woo! Happy birthday, Mike, or happy 100th show. <laughs> His good pal, Harvey Ayrton and Frank Isola join him. Full Court with Fisher and Kay has Morgan Uber talking Big 12 hoops. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto and Aaron have ESPN's Nick Friedle talking Steph Curry's 62-point performance. Woo! And the Golden State Warriors. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And I'm back with King next Thursday for another edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Listen up, listen up, listen up. COVID-19 is still a problem in this world. Trust me, I had it. You don't want it, Gary. Please do all you can to protect yourself and protecting others by wearing a mask. Do the basics like washing your hands or social distancing and just being considerate utmost of those around you. Please keep the nurses, doctors, and hospital personnel in your prayers. They are truly the superheroes in this time. A lot of people think that athletes are the superheroes. Well, the people on the front line, they matter too. Keep working to make our society more inclusive. Like we saw the WNBA, let's follow their lead and follow their example. Hey, until next week. Should I do it? No, I'm not going to do it. I'll pass to Monica. Monica, go ahead and do it. <laughs> Ain't nothing changed in 2021. This is my part. Enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.